Hi, and welcome to Friends of Brother Adam. My name is Dennis, and I'll be your host for this evening. We're going to be doing a bonus little, <laughs> I guess, reading <laughs> of a newspaper that I received. And um, I had a lot of questions about this newspaper article, and so I went back and did some research. And once again, I'm disappointed with the Canadian press. <laughs> Surprised? <laughs> Don't be. Canadian press is one of the most irresponsible press organizations that exist in the world. I mean, they ended up uh, um, getting socialism right long before the United States press got around to doing it. And the Canadian press is bought and paid for by Justin Trudeau of Canada. So uh, we really don't expect too much from them, but this is just that this is just beyond. So uh, when uh, we are analyzing some of these things, we really need to take a look at who's paying for them first. Um, and usually you can find who's paying for them if they're an honest uh, study that is happening. Uh, usually you can find uh, um, a section in there called the funding statement. And what this does is it gives you an idea of the bent on the um, study. And you get to understand, you know, you get to grab some of the things that they say in the study, the, the value judgments that they make in the study, and kind of set them aside and say, now, is this because they're getting paid by these people that they have to do this per part of the study? Or why is this? So, and in a news article, um, a lot of times you're uh, dealing with the journal uh, study, the study in the journal, um, the people who are funding that. And then you're also doing, um, you're also looking at who's funding the particular interest that makes this end up as a newspaper article. And so with this particular article, this is coming from uh, Medicine Hat News, Thursday, July 30th, 2020. Um, it, the uh, title for it is Bee Decline Affecting British Columbia and United States Crops. And uh, it gives you the idea that they did some sort of study and oh my gosh, you know, they found out something new. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, in newspaper, um, in the world of newspaper, they are given a responsibility to put out a certain number of articles on a certain subject and, uh, you know, create interest by. Um, putting out the, the party line on that particular article um, and every single article that they're required to do. So here in the Medicine Hat News, it's not the Medicine Hat News or any reporter within the Medicine Hat News that is actually doing the article. Medicine Hat News just grabbed this article uh, that the Canadian press put out there and they're cut and paste and putting it right in and no fact check and nothing. So you have to sit there and go, okay, <laughs> um, 
let's let's take a look at this and go back and and uh, re-research what they're talking about. So I'm going to just read you the article and then we'll go back through and say, okay, so what's really happening here? And then there's a, um, a journal um, write-up of a study that this article is actually based on. <laughs> and uh, they're posting this now in 2020, but the actual article that it's based on is um, from another continent, England, and Scotland actually paid for the uh, the funding uh, for this. It's uh, Scottish government and the Wellcome Trust under the Insects Pollinator Initiative. <laughs> so, and it was done in 2015. Um, and this one, the article in the Medicine at News is from today. So, <laughs> you have to kind of wonder what's going on here. And, and what ended up happening was um, the reporter from the Canadian press went and talked to uh, a guy in the Department of Etymology at the University of Manitoba, and they were talking about farms in the United States and British Columbia, which really separated apart, and I don't think... Um, this particular individual did any research at all or was even associated with any research in British Columbia and the United States for this subject. It says later on that um, he did some earlier research that showed some farms, and it doesn't mention which farms, uh, their crops were boosted by 30% when they had pollinators there. So, <laughs> yeah, wonderful, great. But the other thing is they went and um, also spoke with uh, no, they didn't speak with any beekeepers other than this uh, uh, Kyle guy. And uh, hmm. so they called up this Kyle guy, got his um, input, and then made up a new study. Magically, bee decline today is affecting BC and US crops. So <laughs> you're just like going, holy crap. And you need to know the persons who are paying for this particular article are um, people who do not like um, themselves. They're, they essentially view humans as the virus um, to the world and they are also all about protecting and enhancing habitat for wild bees. So the fact that they include other bees in this um, is trying just to pile on and uh, the only thing that talks about wild bees in this is that pumpkins and watermelons aren't being fertilized. That's the only thing that they have. They don't have any numbers of wild bees. They don't have anything else. Just those two fruits aren't being pollinized. So let's jump into the article here. It says, Numbers now affecting pollination, which is limiting crop yields on certain farms, study fines. Now, it doesn't say where the study's from, when the study was done. It doesn't say which farms. It just says certain farms. Um, a lack of wild bees and managed honeybees is limiting population and yields for certain crops on farms in British Columbia and across the United States. A collective of researchers have found 
and they don't list which researchers or which study that was. Um, their study published Tuesday in the Royal Society's Journal of Biological Science, and that first set off clues to me because Royal is either here in Canada or over in the UK, and um, the United States doesn't participate in these kind of things. Um, the Royal Society's Journal on Biological Sciences used data from more than 130 farms. Doesn't say which side of the border they're located on. Um, doesn't say the, the percentage. Um, to assess the pollination of crop flowers and yield for apples, highbush blueberries, sweet and tart cherries, almonds, pumpkins, and watermelon. Of those crops, the study found five frequently showed evidence of pollinator limitation, suggesting that protection of wild bees and greater investment in honeybee colonies is likely to boost yields. Oh, to unpack that. <laughs> it notes that crops are uh, dependent on pollinators generate more than uh, 50 billion U.S each year in the United States and declining bee populations raise concerns about food security in years to come. More than likely, all the stats from this come from the United States. The researchers collaborated to gain a comprehensive understanding of the reliance on a lot of these pollinators for these really vitamin-rich, nutritional-rich foods, said, here's our expert, Kyle Bobbywash a co-author and assistant professor in the Department of Etymology at University of Manitoba. Blueberry crops in BC were among those affected by limited pollination, says Bob, Bobby Wash. Okay, so which study? Was it the British study? Was it one that he did? Who knows? On some farms, he said, there was a tremendous amount of pollen limitation, meaning there were a lot of flowers not actually getting pollinated sufficiently to set fruit. But the results varied by farm, said Bobby Wash, noting that he was involved in earlier research, and there we go, that showed some farms where crops that had better, there, that showed some farms where crops had better pollination boosted yields as much as 30%. It amounted to thousands and thousands of dollars per acre just because they had a slightly better bee populations than other farms. Better pollination can also produce heavier, more juicy, and likely tastier berries, he said. If you have a lot of pollen, you are setting a lot more seed and relatively you relatively invigorate this berry and you get all those biochemical processes happening. So it's going to gain more water and sugar, and it's going to produce more secondary metabolites, which are little flavor compounds. Global demand for crops that are dependent on pollinators has increased, says Bobby Wash, while the development of these crops often cuts into bee habitat. At the same time, he said climate change, there we go, could affect the close relationship between plants and pollinators could, not does, 
and wait until you hear this. As temperatures warm, plants might respond by blooming earlier and bees might not respond by emerging earlier. Do you know any bee that's not excited to get out in the spring uh, as soon as it turns plus 10 degrees? Hell no. But it's not guaranteed, exactly, because, hmm, it doesn't happen. You're making things up, Mr. Bobby Wash. Um, we might have plant blooming before pollinators. It evolved with emerge. Increasing pollination and crop yield isn't as simple as bringing more honeybees to every farm, says Bobby Wash. While the study showed different bees provide comparable amounts of pollination, for most crops, he said, some responded best to honeybees, which is such as almonds in California, and others benefited most from wild bees. The results of the study point to importance of protecting and enhancing habitat for wild bees, which could include wildflowers and certain weeds that farmers would normally remove, he said. Okay, so we have taken a look at or read through and, and I tried to keep my uh, editorialisms to myself um, but I just can't. <laughs> so um, in reading this article we have to stand back and say okay so what are what is the subject matter that we're we're talking about here? Is it um, ecological damage? Is it climate change? Is it decrease in bee numbers? And by decrease in bee numbers, is it decrease in uh, wild bees? Or is it a decrease in the supply of honeybees? Or is it um, that the habitat has changed from cultured or from non-cultured crops to cultured crops? Is it uh, spraying and uh, poisoning that is happening to the bees? Is it spraying and poisoning that's happening to the plants? Um, what exactly are we talking about here? Because there has been a range of things and this article is literally like a sixth of the page. So they're not going to get lots in here. They're touching on a lot of different things. But honestly, they haven't put proofs of anything. And the only thing that they have, the only concern that they have put in here is as temperatures warm, plants might respond by blooming earlier and bees might respond by emerging earlier and or n not emerging at the same time as the plants happen well let's just take that particular one right now um, and this is totally and completely away from um, the uh, type of plants they're putting there the spraying anything else this is just climate change and uh, the change of the climate on the plants and then the plants responding to that change in climate and whether or not the bees would respond in the same way. Up here in Canada, and I know that the uh, Canadian press doesn't know this, but up here in Canada, our pollinators um, are rather limited um, because the first 
protein source that comes out, which means pollen source. The first protein source that comes out is um, willow, uh, dandelion, and uh, fruit trees. Okay, so the first plants that start blooming right away are usually dandelions in my area. Um, in other areas they sometimes have willows that come out before dandelions and occasionally there are some wildflowers that sprout like crocuses and things like that that sprout early 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 spring like before the snow has actually even left. So um, and where I am in uh, Alberta, southern Alberta, um, I, we have um, early thaws because we have something called Chinooks, which Leonardo DiCaprio uh, thought was absolutely horrible that we had Chinooks and just pointed towards climate change. But no, it's just the, uh, the climate in this area. It uh, um, warms up, cools down, warms up, cools down, warms up, and it just keeps uh, the climate moderated but it plays hell on our bee population but we sometimes have the snow melt away but it's still winter time and uh, it's cold enough that the plants don't come out we usually have a two-month period of time where we are supplementing our bees with pollen and with nectar because there is no plants out during that time that give that fulfill that need. And bees usually come out of their um, uh, winter process. <laughs> so, so they usually come out of cluster as soon as we hit plus 10. Um, they will come out earlier if they need to get out and do their bee uh, bathroom flight, but they usually come out and, and break cluster at plus 10. When it hits plus 10, no matter what, they're out and they're doing their thing and they're doing scouting and they're bringing water back and they're doing all sorts of things, right? But plus 10 is usually has given from uh, freezing until plus 10, there's a period of time where you go back and forth between freezing, plus five, freezing, plus six, freezing, plus two, freezing, plus seven, you know, and it just kind of fluctuates in that area there that um, the plants start coming out of the ground. Um, they come up from their bulbs, they come up from their deep roots, and they start putting out leaves, and then they start throwing up flowers. And some plants, like the dandelion, immediately throw up a flower as soon as they can possibly get the flower up there. And our bees are right there after those flowers. So if the climate could change, and to tell you the truth, friends, I have been praying ever since I started beekeeping, I have been praying for climate change, that we would, that we would become the California of Canada. <laughs> because, you know what, I could use those kind of temperatures year-round. I really could. <laughs> but if that were to happen, the bees would respond accordingly. So the bees would be out collecting pollen and nectar and uh, out of cluster the moment we hit plus 10. So this, uh, this guy, Kyle Bobby Wash, his supposition that the honeybees might not respond to climate change, a warming of the temperatures, 
plus 10, warming of the temperatures um, as plants might respond a little bit better. No, sorry, Mr. Bobby Wash. I, I, I respect that you probably have a doctorate degree in blah, 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 but um, bees don't act that way. Sorry, pal. <laughs> you should own some beehives. <laughs> they just don't act that way. All right, so let's take on one of the other subject matters here. Uh, protecting and enhancing habitat for wild bees. Now this is something that um, is near and dear to my heart because I go out and I rescue um, wild bees from areas which they shouldn't be in and are causing problems to humans and I go try and rescue them and give them a place to be for that season until they decide to go someplace else. And I don't do anything else with them. I just put them into my apiary and I say, do your thing, bumblebees, love ya. <laughs> and so I've, I've probably rescued in my six years of beekeeping, I probably rescued about 15 or 20 um, uh, beehives. And uh, maybe about 12 of them have stayed around long enough that they, uh, you know, have accepted their, their new home and stayed there for the rest of the season. Um, we had several that just booked. <laughs> we didn't see them again, but they didn't go back to the original uh, place that they were causing issues, so that was good too. But I really like them. Um, bumblebees are very useful. They do not fly towards the sun, um, and they don't uh, go against a glass window and start dink, 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 dink <laughs> until they die. Um, they do their thing, they go to the plant they're, they're pollinating and they come right back to their area. So they are useful in greenhouses. Um, and in my area in southern Alberta we have a lot of greenhouses because we've got gas. Uh, we have natural gas that can heat the greenhouses so um, and it's fairly cheap for the greenhouses so um, we have a lot of greenhouses and the greenhouses use bumblebees to pollinate their plants a lot because they actually, the bumblebees go and do the things, they don't get lost against the windows. You don't have to have all the windows open so that uh, the honeybees can come and go type of thing. They don't, they can have their windows closed, keep the place warm, have bumblebees in there and they do their thing. So, I mean, bumblebees are, are wanted in our area. Um, they are having a trouble because of spraying, because of um, their area being um, taken up by cities and towns and monocrops. And by monocrops, I mean one crop in an area and, and every other plant in that area is sprayed out of existence. Um, and. Uh, Bumblebees have a certain need for pollen and they don't necessarily need as much nectar. Honeybees need mostly nectar and just a little bit of pollen. And so um, they have different habitats and they, they do different things and uh, they have different lifestyles. So um, we're noticing that the wild bees are having a big difficulty. And when they talk about bee decline, most times they are talking about those wild bees. One moment.
Yum. I have a very bad habit of Pepsi. Um, so anyways, um, these wild bee habitats are being pushed back and back and back. Um, wild bees were the bees that were here originally, um, and English and, and European settlers, when they came over, brought the European bee over here, which is our honeybee. And so um, we, we, uh, they're not necessarily crowded out by the honeybee because they have different needs and different lifestyles, but um, we don't really take into account wild bees and, and, and what they do and, and uh, uh, their habitats. So protecting and enhancing habitat for wild bees is good. You're not going to do that by putting uh, little round tubes out there so that they come and, and, and live in the little round tubes. No, those are cutter bees. Those are a different kind of bee. They're not the ones that we're talking about right now. The, the wild bees are more towards the bumblebee and uh, the carpenter bee and, and all sorts of little wild bees. Um, so... Um, when we are enhancing habitat for wild bees, what that means is that we are... Um, bumblebees take up residence in old mouse nests in the ground, old mouse nests in trees. They take up habitat from uh, squirrel nests in trees, and and they they like the the larger area inside of a... a inside of a, a tree or inside of the ground. They like to have a large den. They like to have kind of an entrance area. And they like to be able to have stuff already in the, the, um, in the hive, such as nesting material, fur, leaves, things like that. And, and what they do, the queen comes in, she uh, starts a small little nest, and she lays her first babies, and her first babies end up becoming the ones that go out after they're hatched and, and raised a little bit. They go out and they um, collect the pollen and the little tiny bit of nectar for the hive, and then she stays inside and, and just starts laying and doing her thing inside. So when we're enhancing habitat for wild bees, it's a totally different uh, way of, of taking care of the environment and not necessarily one that runs opposite to um, the uh, farm um, the way that we farm our lands right now. We could quite easily, you know, create habitats and trees and then logs and in the ground for, for these bees. And as long as we have um, pollen for them, they'll stay exactly there. So, I mean, you know, if we wanted to start sowing plants that produce lots of pollen and a little bit less nectar, um, your your bumblebees would be the one and <laughs> actually one of the things that might um, <laughs> make people of Canada a little bit happier and uh, and make bees happier is our uh, marijuana plants they produce pollen but not so much nectar and uh, I don't know but it would seem to me that uh, 
you know, the layperson, it would seem to me that bumblebees might like that type of pollen a little bit better than than honeybees. Um, we all seen the honeybee um, picture of honeybees on on the tops of uh, pot plants and and uh, pot people saying, "Ooh, yeah, um, honey that's produced by bees that makes you high." Ooh, that's great, but. Uh, it, it's been proven that what the guy did is he sprayed some uh, sugar water on the tops and then the honeybees came and were eating the sugar water, not fertilizing the plants. So, <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, but it would seem to me as a, as a lay person that since they are more of an air pollination and they have pollen, um, that bumblebees might come and collect the pollen, not necessarily uh, fertilize the plants, but because they're going from plant to plant, maybe they might be some little bit of fertilizer. But pot plants are are an air um, an air pollination type plant, like corn is. So, but uh, I'm sure we could find some type of uh, <laughs> plant for. Um, wild bees that they would really like and start planting that around and give them a little more food and uh, uh, create living spaces for them and I'm, I'm very sure that we could reseed, re-incline um, the bee, the wild bee population. Um, and uh, But it would take, you know, somebody understanding what it takes for wild bees to thrive and it won't be the same thing as honeybees. Um, if humans disappeared in, in North America, honeybees would disappear from the majority of Canada um, just because temperatures are just not right and our seasons are really fluctuate and cause all sorts of problems. And we wouldn't have new influxes of bees that uh, beekeepers have purchased from New Zealand. So the, uh, the wild bees, uh, that our honeybees would eventually, not even eventually, within a few seasons, out of most of Canada would disappear. The places that probably would remain would be down by Toronto and down by uh, the lower mainland BC area. And uh, they might still be able to keep their bee, their honeybee populations because of the warmth that's provided down there. And the lush, wonderful, um, plant life biome that is in, in that area. So anyways, uh, protecting and enhancing wildlife for, uh, wildlife habitat for wild bees, it would be great. Um, um, eventually, you know, when it becomes more beneficial monetarily for us to do something like that, maybe we might go and, and learn and do and, and just take care of that, that pollinator. However, until it becomes profitable, I just don't see it happening. And uh, with the way that, that Canada is being a, a great socialist society, um, all the excess money that <laughs> should be going to some of these uh, uh, studies and some of these things aren't, they're going to We Charity and, and uh, Justin Trudeau and the people at the top. So, um, and that's, that's how socialism works. Um, you know, everybody's equal except for those who are more equal. And those who are more equal end up uh, receiving gobs and gobs of cash and wealth and money and power. So um, until that changes here in, in Canada, 
I don't see us pouring too much money into protecting and enhancing wildlife habitat for bees. And, uh, hmm, <laughs> let's go into something else. Um, results varied by farm, says Bobby Wash. Nothing, or noting that he was involved in an early research. Okay, so that was that research because he belongs to the uh, um, Department of Etymology, University of Manitoba. You know, who paid for him to study that? Um, you know, what, what's the biases of that research? Uh, what are the names of the papers from that research? So that we can go check his research. You know, if he's just saying, you know, um, by the powers you know, invested in me by being assistant professor uh, in the Department of Etymology in University of Manitoba, I know that um, yields can be increased as much as 30% if we put more bees on them. Yeah. <laughs> you, you don't see me, but I'm just slapping my forehead and <laughs> going, oh my gosh. Of course, when you put more bees in an area um, uh, with plants that are pollinated by honeybees and you put more honeybees there, you have a better crop. Duh. Duh. And <laughs> results varied by farm. Well, it probably varied by crop rather than varied by farm. Um, <sighs> Uh, one of the reasons why we're having uh, problems during this year happens to be uh, of government origin and less of an origin because of climate change, because of bad disappearing habitat, or, or because of um, the fact that, you know, there are more um, different crops out there. Um, it's the elephant in the room. It's, it's the government-controlled um, <laughs> pandemic that we're having, you know, um, where the government has shut down every business. And uh, they happened to shut down businesses during the period that most people were getting bee sent to them from other countries. The time that we were supposed to go pick up our bees, we were in lockdown. And uh, they weren't sending bees from New Zealand to Canada during that time because we were in government-enforced lockdown. Um, now, had the bees been coming from China? We had Chinese people coming in from the start of COVID clear until now. We've had Chinese people flying in and doing stuff. They could have brought along bees if, if there were any bees existing in China because they, they, they kill most of their bees with all the pesticides and poisons that they have in the airs and blah, blah, blah. We don't get it from China. Our government was letting Chinese people in by the dozens every day, all the way through this whole entire epidemic. They did not let people from New Zealand in. They did not let packages come from New Zealand, Australia, some of the warmer climates that we usually get our, our package bees from. So during that period of time, not only were we locked down, we weren't able to get stuff shipped to us. And this year has been more or less a wash for a lot of the beekeepers that I have um, 
known here in in my area and and some of my beekeeping friends and the beekeepers who have their system set up so that they are creating their own nucleus hives and they're surviving the next season off of their old nucleus hives congratulations good job good preparation uh, good learning you guys you know had it when we don't but for the rest of us yeah we were in lockdown and uh, we couldn't sneak out to our farm to do things because um, here in Alberta we actually needed um, an excuse sheet to go to work if we were a workplace that was necessary and uh, forget the word but if they needed us to be at our workplace we actually got a permission slip signed by the province to go to our area but only to our area not shopping not going to beekeeping not no to our government uh, mandated necessary job so this year if if he's talking about a bee decline affecting bc and and let's forget about the u.s crops but affecting bc and even over in manitoba where um mr joe kyle <laughs> mr kyle bobby washes from you know um that's the reason it's a politically uh mandated decline of bees so why the hell are you trying to blame climate change on something that the government did? No, no. All right, let's go on to something else here. Um, Mr. Bobby Wash is suggesting that protection of wild bees and greater investment in honeybee colonies is likely to boost, boost yields. Well, um, I don't know about you, Mr. Beekeeper, but me, Mr. Beekeeper, I don't have too much extra money to expand my population um, right now um, I'm having problems and uh, I have a I have another job that supports my um, habit of beekeeping and uh, you know a lot of my money is going to um, preparing for harder times a lot of my money is going to paying down debt a lot of my money is going to other places that don't involve beekeeping. So it's hard for me to throw down an extra $2,000 for more bee swarms if they actually existed. Instead, I had to buy packages from a company that, that I won't be purchasing from again. Um, I, I ended up... Uh, getting 13 packages or 13 nukes from this company and uh, you know with the expectation that I was going to split them and, and make them bigger and, and go crazy with them not only did they come um, two months later than when they were said they were going to be coming but then um, they were they charged a whole lot more than than what they would charge for packages which was good and fine and yeah I understand but when I got them eight of my packages of the 13 eight didn't have Queens in them <laughs> so then you know if I wanted Queens I either had to make Queens which takes a month or I had to go out and purchase Queens um, which is 50 bucks a bug so you know 
I don't have uh, time or money to go out and uh, boost our colony yields. <sighs> oh my gosh. The, and when I read this uh, article, <laughs> I, I hit the roof. <laughs> I was yelling at the newspaper. <laughs> so, all right. And uh, let's, last but not least, let's take a look at, at the um, plants that they talked about. Um, and I haven't, I have to confess, I haven't done too much um research on this but let's just go through these and if I'm wrong let me know on my email <laughs> but um, and I'll learn along with you guys um, crop of flowers and yield apples okay so apples yeah that's honeybees um, a lot of times because it's early spring the fruit trees are usually early spring we usually get some wild pollinators in there but usually apples are honeybees uh, high bush blueberries so blueberries exist pretty low to the ground but if you have high bush blueberries <laughs> I guess they're higher up easier to harvest um, blueberries I think I they are honeybees I'm, I'm pretty sure they're honeybees that do blueberries sweet and tart cherries I think those are honeybees. Almonds, down in the States, uh, those are honeybees. Pumpkins are wild bees, because they don't really produce too much nectar. And watermelon. I think watermelon is also like pumpkin and need wild bees to pollinate it. Um, other things that they've talked about are, are actually air pollination crops. So, mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, just looking at this, um, I have scribbles all over this page. <laughs> um, I was really upset that I, I went through and tried to find the, uh, the source, um, dot or source study in the Royal Society Journal of Biological Sciences. Um, that particular journal is divided up into two. One does uh, physical um, um, studies such as mathematics, physics, nuclear, that kind of stuff, and one does biological. So it's called Royal Society's Journal B Sciences. So B for biological. And when I went in and checked that one out, um, the only thing that came up during that uh, during that search was something that was from 2015. So if this person is saying, "Oh, this is a recent uh, thing from this cat or from from the Royal Society," uh, no, no, no. And uh, when it was the impact over 80 years of land coverage changes on bee and wasp pollinator communities in England, sponsored by Scotland. So has absolutely nothing to do with this here except for the fact that honeybees happen to come from Europe so mm, you know it might <laughs> kind of go into that but um, their wild pollinators are totally different wild pollinators so how can we make uh, grand um, leaps of faith 
when we're talking about climate change and wild bee habitat and that kind of thing when we're talking about apples and oranges it just doesn't make any sense and uh, now it could be possible that this this study that they were talking about comes from uh, behind some paywall that I'm not able to get to or some research paywall that I'm not able to get to but literally um, it has nothing on here that other than that particular article that I, I talked about earlier um, and when you go down um, there's stuff about, on Wikipedia about the uh, Royal Society there's uh, um, proceedings so uh, things that they talk about their how they run their journal and everything like that but there's there's no other thing that I can find even even a hint of stuff behind a paywall so <laughs> I don't know what to say I'm pretty sure that that is the article that they are talking or the uh, study that they are talking about now it would have been good if Mr. Kyle Bobby Wash would have said something about um, his studies the name of his study um, where it's published you know if it's peer-reviewed which is a big thing if, if a study is not peer-reviewed um, it's an essay paper uh, peer-reviewed means that people who are experts in that uh, field or becoming experts have gone through and said uh, this is a problem you need to go back and fix it this is a problem you need to you know state this differently this is a problem here you've made an assumption without proof blah 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 uh, and if it's not peer-reviewed as far as I'm concerned it's it's got as much relevance as the stuff that I do here on the podcast um, it's my opinion it's my experience it's it's not empirical uh, repeatability is probably a little bit difficult you know <laughs> so yeah um, it, it just I was screaming at the newspaper <laughs> anyways that's what you need to do when you go through some of these uh, newspaper articles you need to uh, uh, do the checking on who paid for it you need to go through and review the uh, source documents you need to go through and make sure that um, they don't make any leaps of faith. Um, the religion of uh, global warming, or the religion of Gaia, that I call it, um, you know, they they have a lot of faith and and hope in things that they preach and talk about, and which cannot be verified or or known. So, um, yeah, when I see when I see that religion start creeping into the the empirical evidence I kind of say okay well that's that's enough of that so um, not saying that climate change doesn't happen happens every uh, four times a year for us and uh, in my area it happens a whole hell of a lot more due to um, our Chinooks <laughs> and, and 
you know, and I believe climate does change. Uh, we're, we're experiencing a huge big climate change um, because of pole shift and, and certain things, but they're, they're natural consequences, not man-made. And uh, when, when the poles uh, do a snap about and change totally, we're going to get some plate shifting and all sorts of things like that, you know, without going too deep into it. And, and you know, deserts are going to become oceans and <laughs> mountains are going to become flatland and all sorts of things. So um, when that does happen, we'll, uh, hopefully Alberta will become California. <laughs> That's what I'm hoping and praying for. So um, just uh, read through and, and try and reason these things out and, and kind of go through and, and pull out the things that you can use for your beekeeping. That's the most important thing. Um, uh, I didn't qualify for any business loans, any uh, business help through the COVID relief funds uh, for my business. And so what I'm ending up doing is I'm having to streamline, I'm having to choose my productive areas in which I can uh, make the most amount of money off of. And the areas that I don't make money, unfortunately, I've started scaling back and started saying, okay, well, <laughs> it was nice that I did that, but if it doesn't take any uh, too much time or too much effort, I guess I just don't do it. So, and what I'm taking from this particular article is, yes, there's a bee decline. Um, more than likely, the bee decline that they're talking about happens to be the uh, wild bees and, and the wild bee habitat. And uh, I understand that the, the greens absolutely hate humans, they hate me, um, they hate farmers, they hate uh, bee ranchers, um, and they consider us as a virus and, and uh, you know, I really don't care what they say because uh, essentially they're saying to me as a beekeeper, as a, a virus on this earth that, you know, I can go kill myself or they'll eventually get to it. So my, my feeling on the matter is I don't care what they say. Um, the stuff that I'm going through and I'm picking up is I'm picking up that um, with bees on the property and increasing bee population on the property, you can increase farmers' yields up to 30%. That's a good sales thing right there. You can take that to the bank. You can walk up to a farmer and say, hey, if you let me put bees on your property, your yields will be boosted by 30%. That's the one thing I can take away from this. <laughs> All the other things, the wild bee habitat, yeah, something I knew, something that uh, is near and dear to my heart, but, you know, um, they're trying to liken it to climate change and it's just not working. Uh, I don't have faith. So thank you guys for listening. I hope I haven't rambled too much and hopefully I haven't angered too many people out there. <laughs> Again, my views are my views, and like I was saying, um, the stuff that I talk about and that I do usually isn't that peer-reviewed. So, again, it's it's essentially take it for what you for the entertainment value it has, and do your own research, do your own readings, and uh, develop your own opinions on it. Anyways. This has been Friends of Brother Adam, and my name's Dennis, and please make sure that if you are listening to this on a podcast, uh, 
thing and you think that I deserve it, please give me a five stars or a thumbs up. It helps uh, send people over to listen to more beekeeping stuff. And, and I'm really sorry. I usually try and keep politics out of things, but this just, <laughs> it was too much. So anyways, we'll talk with you all later. Bye.